Good morning, noon, afternoon, evening. How are you doing this happy Halloween when I am recording this episode of The Ace Podcast where we talk everything about art, culture, and entertainment, specifically pop culture. My name is Will. I'm the host of this little show that I host by myself. Um, so this is, rather than giving y'all a bonus episode, I decided that I'm going to make a long one because I missed a lot of news. There's a lot to talk about and even more still that I'm going to have to catch up on after I record this. But yes, we're recording this on Halloween. I'm going to try and post this on Halloween. It's spooky season. You know what it is. Libra gang. Uh, shout outs to the Scorpios. They up next. But how am I doing your gracious host graces your gracious gracious host for this show i'm doing okay uh i'm tired celebrating my birthday last week now this week has come around i'm readjusting to everything um just winding down on the semester slowly clientele's starting to pick up got to pick up about 50 more hours before uh, november ends uh so yeah all of that is is going okay. Everything's going okay. Um, I need to go on a date. Man, it has been a minute. I need to treat myself, even though I do way too much of that already. But that's beside the point. So in terms of uh, on the show, I like to talk about, you know, how we're doing, what we're watching, what we're taking in entertainment-wise. In terms of what I've watched, um, I'm going to go a little bit more thorough detail into it in a minute. But uh, I watched Watchmen, the first episode. I haven't watched the second episode yet. I need to get caught up on Supernatural. I know the new season, of, the, the last season of BoJack Horseman has officially gone up, uh, so I need to watch that. There's so many damn shows, ah, and it sucks. It makes me hurt, um, but I'm excited to see Dolomite is my name, I think, in a couple weeks. I'm trying to decide right now if I want to see the new Terminator or if I want to see uh, Dr. Sleep or if I want to see The Lighthouse because I have a free voucher because of my birthday so I can go see a movie at the Alamo, so that's all interesting. Um, but yeah, Watchmen's like the only real new thing I've had time to sit down and really like watch watch um so what have i listened to nothing too specific a lot of stripper music to get my body right get me in the moment a lot of 90s r&b a little bit of adina howard um listen to a lot of podcasts if you don't check out like brilliant idiots guys next door two of my go-tos are actually uh, is the mic still on and horrible decisions uh, really big inspiration for me to do what I do and continue the podcast game. Uh, no Chaser is also a really good podcast by Timothy Delegato. Um, I listen to an episode of No Jumper. So I go back, I go around with a lot of podcasts since I have to travel a lot during the week. Hopefully that'll end uh, with this year. Um, yeah, I just listen to a lot of podcasts because if I'm on the road for two hours down and two hours back, I need something to, you know, keep my attention while I'm going at that. So... Let's get into uh, our news from the big two. Then we have a laundry load of other shit, which is everything else that kind of goes on. Um, oh, wait, I almost forgot what I listened to. I listened to Jesus is King by Kanye West. Almost forgot that that album came out because it's okay. It's, uh, I think it's better than Ye, musically. Um, honestly, the true act of God is that Pusha T managed to go a whole three minutes and not rap about selling dope. Uh, and Kenny G was on it. Um, yeah, that's probably like the only real song I can say like I like liked or replayed off it. It's an okay album. I don't know what Kanye expected. It's really short. His album has gotten incredibly shorter for how much he tries to gas up the fans and everything to be like, oh, you're not ready for this one, you know, and I don't do secular music and you can't have premarital sex. This motherfucker is losing it. He's lost it. I don't know what he expects, what he's trying to do. And I can tell it's authentic 
But I'm disappointed because I'm like, bro, what? Like his production ability is still solid, but I just don't really look forward to his projects that much. I'm interested, but I'm not like excited for it. Uh, Kanye West has very much taken the uh, DCEU route of uh, success, but kind of in reverse where he started good and has progressively gotten much much worse, I'd argue, since my dark, my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That was the last time I'd say they had, a, like, a great album since then. It's been, like, okay at best. Like, Life of Pablo is all right. Kids See Ghost. A lot of people really liked it, apparently. But that was okay. Um, Yay. I thought Yay was awful. I thought it was very bad. Nothing memorable or interesting about it. Um, Jesus. I actually like Jesus. I think Jesus is actually kind of good. But, yeah, everything after that. Ugh, yeah, so Jesus King is better. Than what he usually does, um, but I'm curious to see how long it's going to last. So, speaking of DC, speaking of DCEU, uh, Jared Leto apparently appears to be dropped uh, from future DC projects, which I feel bad for him, but the way they wrote him was complete trash, and the way he acted on that Suicide Squad set was really stupid. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Sad to hear, um, but you know what? You you live to act another day. Your career isn't in, like, shambles. You're still this incredibly acclaimed, like, Oscar award-winning actor. So I wouldn't be too pressed. Maybe they'll... I, I, but I, I don't really want them to bring him back because his character, I, like, refuse to acknowledge as the Joker. I called him the gangster when I walked out of that movie because that's what he was. He was a thug. He was a gangster. He was a hooligan. Engaging in some young tomfoolery walking around shirtless in sweatpants with a with a pimp coat. Absurd. Ridiculous. But, I don't know. I feel like he did get a little bit screwed over. But I also think a little bit of that is his fault, too. I feel like people would have better received it had he not acted so fucking nut wild uh, during the production of Suicide Squad. The very, very just poor movie. It's just not a good movie. <laughs> I find it entertaining, but it's just not good. So, you know, I feel bad to an extent, but also I feel like you'd be a lot more I I impactful had you not acted the way you did on that set. There's nothing wrong with getting very engaged into a character. Sometimes it's not even wrong to do some method acting, but there's limitations to the craft as well, I believe. And I think he just went a little too far with it. Uh, for a character that really didn't deserve as much energy as he tied into it, I think he wanted to be remembered as great and he was looking for fame and all he got was infamy. So, you know, feel bad, but it is what it is. Next up, HBO Max has been announced. And the reason I'm bringing up HBO Max, uh, well, it's been, it's been known for a while, but they dropped a lot of the lineup. And two of the things on their lineup include an Elizabeth Banks produced show known as DC Superhero High. And um, what we're looking at here, some of the leaked designs are really interesting but it says that as well as green lantern and strange adventures are both being helmed by greg berlanti um who's apparently quite excited for this green lantern sounds like it's gonna be very expensive but i feel like hbo can you know cut the check for that um yeah i i'm not a fan of uh greg berlanti running things the man like if he had to write if he had to write women to save his life he would die immediately um so I'm not extremely excited or too keen to see on, see where that goes. DC has a rocky history with Green Lantern showing up in things. Like, they have times when he's really good and times when he's really not. 
But uh, apparently Berlanti says both of these original DC properties will be creating for HBO Max will be unlike anything seen on television. An anthology series of cautionary tales on a world where superpowers exist and in what promises to be our biggest DC show ever made, we will be going to space with a Green Lantern television series, but I can't reveal any more about that just yet. So is uh, I am curious as to if they're going to use any of the cast from the Arrowverse, if it's going to have any tie over to that, or if it's going to be its own independent universe type dealie. Um, so that's interesting. Then Elizabeth Banks is doing a superhero high show. Uh, she's producing it, at least. And um, there are some kind of scant details about it, but not not a lot has been told. They're, these are more just announcements than anything else for these upcoming projects. And uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, I'm certainly very curious with the superhero high, because we already have... We've had an original and a remake of DC Superhero Girls, um, or a reboot, should I say. Um, so, yeah, uh, these will be interesting to see where these go. I'm, I'm not too worried about the superhero high one. We, we had a Gotham high that was teased and planned around for a while, and then that got scrapped, so I'm imagining they'll probably fold in some of those elements. I feel like superhero high is going to be a little lighter. Green Lantern, um, if they do tie it into the Arrowverse, I think it will be interesting if they have a John Diggle as, uh, or at least the, the actor for him play, uh, John Stewart. For that show and have it be like a tie-in maybe with the multiverse i don't know they're probably not going to backdoor that with crisis but it might have a light tie-in who knows who knows we'll see um if these john stewart or, or kyle rayner or hal jordan um because fuck that other guy <laughs> uh fuck that bullcut motherfucker i'm forgetting his name guy gardner yeah fuck guy gardner he's a dick anyways last bit of dc talk um well there's actually one other thing Ava DuVernay is set to direct the DC comic series adaptation DMZ for HBO Max. That's already been announced, uh, so that I'm interested to see where that goes, which I think is about World War III in a landlocked New York. Not World War III, Civil War II. I'm sorry, a second Civil War that happens in New York, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, but kind of curiously, related to race-related events, Watchmen! Uh, I saw the first episode, I want to talk about it. This will be spoilers, because uh, it's been out for about a week and the second episode is aired, I need to watch it. But it's Halloween, so I'm probably going to watch Hereditary or some shit. Anyways, I really, 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 really like it. Um, I, Apparently a news article came out and it's like, white people didn't know about the uh, 1921 riots in, it was not Selma, I am forgetting the name. Um, God damn it. it it's, it's not, and I don't think it was riots. I think it was actually bombing, a race-related bombing that was going on in that part of Georgia. Um, but I really like it. Tonally, I am surprised with where it went. Um, I have a light familiarity with Watchmen. I actually quite enjoy the Zack Snyder movie, which is something that I don't often say about anything that Zack Snyder's done at all. But, um, yeah. I, I I really liked it. I really liked thematically where it was going just because it's a lot of things that kind of relate to me as a uh, person of color. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting the direction they're going discussing uh, kind of a, a almost alternate take on reality. It seems to, the implication seems to be some things acknowledging some sort of reparations made to the black community. Um, there's a whole concept of like racial balance and... Um, racial disparity and uh, secret police and kind of the way that these Rorschach gang or this, uh, the, the seventh, what's it called? The seventh Legion or something like that are rising up as this kind of uh, fascist organization 
something something akin to that. I, I just do think it's very interesting. Uh, okay, so yeah, racial tensions in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Seventh Cavalry, that's what they call. They're a white supremacist group turned on the police over racial justice. Police are forced to protect their identities with masks, allowing mass vigilantes to join their ranks. So essentially, they're they're hiring mass vigilantes. The show follows Angela Abar, a vigilante known as Sister Knight, investigates the lynching of her friend and superior chief Jude Crawford. Comes to discover many more secrets regarding the situations around vigilantism, and uh, there there are there are direct allusions to the rest of the series. There's even like a very brief, brief, brief appearance of a uh, Doctor Manhattan. But yeah, I think it's fascinating with what's going on. Um, the black version of Oklahoma really kind of. Um, oh, okay. The okay, that's what I thought that was. So the Tulsa Black Wall Street massacre is how the episode opened up, and that's actually what I, I thought it was. Because when they're showing uh, a lot of black people being pulled and lynched and, and bombed, I'm like, this feels like something that would happen on Black Wall Street, and apparently that's not common knowledge because we don't teach a lot about certain, like, Black Wall Street in history. That's just what it is in America. That's how the West works. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not shaming anybody for not knowing that knowledge because it's not exactly common knowledge. Black Wall Street isn't common knowledge. But, you know, if that was a part that really intrigued you, uh, that's inspired by true events that actually happened. And then the rest of the show kind of does its own thing with its alternate take based off of the Watchmen comic going forward, analyzing issues that are kind of more pertaining to our modern society in this kind of adjacent take on the reality that we live in. And I know in the teaser for the second episode, uh, Sister Knight, I'm, I'm forgetting the actor's name, uh, or the, the character's name, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's been a week. Um is speaking with some child talking about, like, we like to believe that the world is so... I'm paraphrasing here. But we'd like to believe that the world is so colorful and reality it's a lot more black and white. And I'm just like, that is an interesting perspective for you to take on this show with the political climate we're in, especially with a lot of the conversations being about how things are not as black and white as we want them to be. So I think that leads to a lot of interesting character examinations that will continue... Throughout the series, I think the acting is very, very good. I think Regina King is really, really dope in this. I really like her uh, performance so far. From only the first episode, I think seeing um, a lot of the uh, other actors in the show. We got like Tim Blake Nelson, who I recognize from Holes. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II playing uh, her husband. Um, Jeremy Irons appearing, who I, I'm guessing is all... Uh, a lot of people are speculating he's Dr. Manhattan, which I kind of agree with. He, I, I think he is, at least. His voice is so so powerfully resonant uh, with that little rasp that he's got. But I think it's a, it's very, very good. You should definitely check it out. Um, I, I just like so much about it. I like the atmosphere. I like the production. I like the score. I, I even like uh, <laughs> some of the lines and... Um, I think she has a line that's along the lines of she says something to the effect of a, um, I can smell, I can smell white supremacy a mile away, and this motherfucker smells like bleach. And I'm like, can I get that on a shirt? I know it's corny, but I love that line. I don't know why. I just thought it was clever, and even though it's like stupidly on the nose and kind of obnoxious, I'm like, can I get that on a shirt? Cause I love it. But yeah, it's very good. If you haven't watched it, you should give it a shot. 
I'm gonna probably watch. I'm gonna try and watch episode two either today or tomorrow. It depends on what I'm doing with my videos and whatnot. But yeah, that's all of our main DC news. We have two little bits of Marvel news to talk about on this special long episode. And by special long meaning, I don't know how long it's gonna last, but I'm gonna catch up with all of the news that I missed that I meant to talk about for a second episode. But nonetheless, so unfortunately for fans of Cloak and Dagger, there is some sad news. Cloak and Dagger has officially been canceled. Uh, so it's stopping at season two, which I didn't finish. I got about four episodes in, so I got caught up to episode four, or um, and then I just fell off like I do with a lot of superhero shows because there's way too many in the market right now to kind of keep up with. It gets tiresome after a while. There's like a good three, four years where I was not watching nothing but like straight superhero shows, and I would have to binge all the other ones. And now it's kind of switching around a little bit, and my tastes are changing and everything. Um, I just don't use the time like I used to. I'll, I'll get back to it. But I heard that apparently the pace was really slow. But yeah, I kind of feel bad for... It seems like there was a lot of passion and energy uh, from the cast and the production crew. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of investment in this show. Um, honestly, I, I think a similar fate is coming to Runaways as well. I think that with Kevin Feige taking full control of Marvel, he's slowly uh, picking at the shows that Jeff Loeb used to produce. So we already know Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is... Uh, done cloak and dagger is officially canceled legion is done runaways is probably the only one that's really left that's still airing and that's because they're about to have their third season and i bet you we will get an announcement soon that that's being done after that because it's it's a hulu exclusive so i'm almost certain they're trying to move everything to a lot more direct resource over at uh, disney plus but yeah um feels bad son uh, Aubrey Johnson and Olivia Holt did a pretty solid job from what I saw. I do wish we got to do a little bit more with these characters, but the last time we will see them at least will be in a crossover. So I think I'm going to try and finish the show and then so that I can go in and see my babies over on Runaways. Because I, um, even though I wasn't a big fan of season two, those, those characters hold a very, very particularly special place in my heart. Same with Cloak and Dagger. I have some nice memories associated with them. So yeah, rip. Uh, press F to pay respects. Yeah, poor Cloak and Dagger. And then we have another smaller piece of unrelated non-MCU news. Naomi Harris has apparently been cast as Shriek for Venom 2, which is set to start filming, I want to say next year, um, so they can get that off the ground in like 2021 or some shit like that. But uh, yeah, cool, good, nice pick. Naomi Harris is a, is a good actress, beautiful young lady, nice to see uh, a black villain. Don't get those uh, too often every now and then. Black female villain at that. Haven't gotten that one since, uh, well, you know, a certain movie by a certain former comedy actor. But yeah, uh, cool. Cool news. I don't know a lot about Shriek, even though I'm keeping up with, like, Absolute Carnage in the Venom comics right now. Um, she has her own little mini going on with that event. So I'm sure she'll be making an appearance down the road as they try to weave her in. Um, I'm wondering what they're going to do with this fucking story. Uh, especially in terms of direction, because I'm like, oh boy, we get to see Venom fight more symbiotes. Great. And maybe we'll get Spider-Man to show up so he can get the spider on his chest or some bullshit like that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, the Venom universe and the implications of it possibly bleeding over to the MCU and stuff like Morbius and all that fuckery, since I think we're getting Morbius next year, if memory serves. Um, Sure. Fine, cool, whatever. Glad Naomi Harris is still working. She's a good actress. So, you know, we'll see where the plot goes. I, I am not, I have no expectations for Venom 2. Um, other than the fact that Andy Serkis is the director, 
he's a he's a great uh motion cat guy. He's a great mocat guy. I think he's good as an actor. He's a very good actor. Um, but in terms of directing, I can't say I haven't seen his Jungle Book movie. I haven't really. I'm not too familiar with his directing history, so it seems kind of rocky. But uh, yeah, I mean, congrats to Naomi Harris. Glad to see another uh, black actress out here making it. Hopefully, Venom Two was good. That's all we can hope for. Is like I'm expecting the worst, hoping for the best. So, on to the other shit. And oh my goodness, there is a lot of other shit to talk about. <laughs> oh boy, it's been a good couple of weeks. Um, so first of all, Hocus Pocus Two is announced for Disney Plus. Who asked for this? Who who wanted this? Who wanted this movie? <laughs> Who wants to, I mean, apparently the actors are on board to come back, and that's all I'm hoping for, story-wise. Where the fuck are they going to go? Is it, It's the same thing with, like, the, the Craft remake. Like, what, what are you doing with it? Just modernizing it? So I'm like, Hocus Pocus 2, cool for Disney+. Plus. Where is it going? What are the? I thought we got rid of the witches the first time. I'm not opposed to it. Hocus Pocus is a dope-ass Halloween movie. But nonetheless, it's like, where are we going with this? What's the story going to be? Where are you taking these characters? Like, I'm still going to watch it. Don't get me wrong. Like, if, you know, I, I at least out of morbid curiosity, it's like, well, it can't, like, it's a Disney Hocus Pocus sequel. How bad can it be? It can't be worse than anything that the Disney Channel original movies have put out recently. So, you know, okay, I just hope they get the old cast back. And that that's all I can really hope for and see how the fuck they're going to continue this story um so yeah next up clerks 3 has gerard way of my chemical romance and um i almost said doom patrol well he did do doom patrol but also umbrella academy doing the score which has me very excited for two reasons one i've been waiting for clerks 3 for so long and kevin smith has been doing other things and i can't wait to see a jay and silent bob reboot I've heard very good things about that uh, from fans of it, as well as, um, yeah, no, I, I like Gerard Way's music. He's he's a talented musician. He's a very solid writer, too. He's a good he's a good comic writer. I've got to give him credit. I'm curious about his Doom Patrol. I have another comic by him. It's like Dangerous Days, I think, which is based off, uh, loosely tied into the MCR album of the same name. So, you know, I'm not like a hardcore fan of Gerard Way. I'm not going to lie, but I am a fan of his work. I'm familiar with enough of it. Um, I really love Umbrella Academy. I thought it was a great show. And, whoop, hold on. So as I was saying, uh, as I got rudely interrupted by our uh, exterminator coming to make sure we don't have bugs in our motherfucking house. Yeah, Umbrella Academy, great show. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. But this news is really exciting, uh, really, for, you know, My Chemical Romance fans. He's still pretty consistent with his tonal sounds. He'll occasionally drop a solo song or something like that. But, um, yeah, Kevin Smith, Broadway, big old nerdy boys working together. So I'm sure the soundtrack will be fire. I've been waiting for Clerks 3 for a long time. I'm still waiting to see if he decides to uh, bring back that Mall Bratz idea he had. It'll be interesting to see the role that Harley Quinn Smith plays in this because she's in all of his movies now. Because nepotism casting, but you know what it is. You know, you know what it is when you go to a Kevin Smith movie some of the time. Except for Tusk, because fuck that movie. <laughs> uh, so anyways, on to news that really doesn't matter to me, but I'm going to talk about it anyways because it, it apparently made the fans confused. I don't know. Fast and Furious 9 is a thing that's happening in the future and a surprise to absolutely nobody. Cardi B will be in the movie, probably playing a bit role, just like she did in fucking Hustlers. And the fans are perplexed. And they're like, yeah, 
sure, whatever the fuck. And I'm just like, what? Why is this? I guess this news for Cardi B fans. Uh, I listen to her music, but like, meh. I don't know. Fast and Furious 9 is a weird-ass franchise that's gotten way the fuck away from like street races. Um, so having her be in the movie, Cardi B in the movie, haha, jokes on this Halloween. Um, not beyond the scope of, of belief. They had a bulletproof black man as the villain for Hobbs and Shaw. So Cardi B isn't like, oh, oh shit, is she going to be part of the crew? Is she she going to replace Vin Diesel? What's going to happen? Oh. But yeah, I mean, mm, wow, that's, that's news. Um, other news that's just entirely unrelated. Well, related to The Rock. Well, no, we'll get into this trailer shit first. Um, Game of Thrones prequel is canceled with the new Mother of Dragons show, I believe. Coming to HBO Max. There's a lot of HBO Max shit here today. Um, cool. We got some weird-ass news with, with Game of Thrones shit today, so we'll be going in and out as we talk about it. But yeah, um, I didn't really... When the prequel was first announced before the end of Season 8, I'm like, who can, really? Or, I don't know. Maybe because I, I, I watched Game of Thrones, I kept up with it. Um, but, like, I wasn't a diehard fan, so Season 8 didn't piss me off nearly as much as it did everybody else. I do admit it could have been a little better paced for the way it, it dragged things out. I, I think a, a full round 10 season probably would have been better than rushing eight. But, you know, it is what it is. What happened, happened. I wasn't entirely pissed off with the way it ended. I think it's just the, the pacing of the execution is a little, should have pulled it out a little bit longer. But that prequel's been canceled, and I, I think, a, I believe a Mother of Dragon spinoff is in the works to go on HBO Max. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um... I like the Targaryens. Um, I didn't mind the way that Danny, the road that she went at the end of season eight, but again, it was a pacing thing. I think that made that turn so sudden and rapid that she just changed so drastically in the span of a season. I didn't mind it probably because I enjoyed the acting behind it and the way it shot and in the moment, but I haven't gone back to rewatch the whole thing. So it probably doesn't hold back, hold up uh, upon like a rewatch or anything like that. But yeah. Uh, Jumanji, the next level, we, we got a lot of um, trailer talk here. Um, actually, really, that Game of Thrones thing, we'll talk about that, then we'll go into all these trailers, because we got like five or six of them. So, D&D &D from uh, Game of Thrones have actually not only are the Star Wars, not Star Wars, it's related to Star Wars, not doing a Game of Thrones uh, prequel, but uh, what are their damn names? I just looked at them. Uh, D&D from Game of Thrones have officially pulled out of Star Wars as well. Weiss and Benioff. D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, D&D. Uh, so Weiss and Benioff have pulled out of their planned Star Wars project, which isn't the first for Star Wars directors, but um, apparently their Netflix deal is still going forward, but they initially had a planned trilogy that they were supposed to do, which potentially would have explored the uh, origins of the Jedi, I heard, or I'm reading somewhere. But yes, Variety says, the departure of the two likely sends the studio back to the drawing board with the future of the series more uncertain than it has been since Disney closed its $4 billion deal for Lucasfilm in 2012. And uh, yeah, I mean, they still have their deal going forward with Netflix, I believe. So it's not like they're not doing anything, but at the same time, Disney, Disney, I don't think knows what the fuck they're doing on the big screen with Star Wars. And apparently they're also pumping the brakes for that as well, like for at least a little while. Um, there's a quote that I read the other day. I, I believe it's from, it's from Variety. So it's inside 
Game of Thrones creators exit in the pressures facing Lucasfilm. It's the exclusive of them. So it says, one underlying problem Benioff and Weiss exit illustrates, one source notes, is that there is still no consensus as to what Star Wars is and what Star Wars should be. Disney CEO Bob Iger said there would be a, quote, slowdown of Star Wars on the big screen. And Lucasfilm shelved a planned Obi-Wan Kenobi movie in favor of making it a Disney Plus streaming series. While they planned Boba Fett movie from filmmaker James Mangold, who you may know from Logan and uh, The Wolverine, was also put on ice. For now, the immediate future of Star Wars will be on the small screen with Disney Plus launching The Mandalorian as its flagship show. In addition to an Obi-Wan series, a Diego Luna Red Rogue One prequel that nobody asked for is also in the works. Unlike Marvel, which has had a clear vision of its cinematic universe, Star Wars has had trouble finding its footing. Johnson took big swings with mythos in The Last Jedi, and while the fans was while the film was welcomed by critics and some fans, has also been batted down by a vocal portion of the Star Wars community. This stuff needs to be sorted before it gets to a cataclysmic point, says the source. Which to I agree to a point. Being someone that actually did enjoy The Last Jedi on a creative level on a on a productive level level not as much on a story level i think the story is interesting but i do think there are a lot of misfires i think there's a mishandling of the way that things are navigated and i don't think ryan johnson helped that is all at all during the press circuit for it i still enjoyed it from a production level and from a uh, cinematic like viewpoint level and from an acting level i think the acting in that movie is good i think visually it is the best looking star wars movie ever made um uh, as well as cinema cinematic graphically um but Upon reading that, I was like, a Rogue One pre prequel is really still a random as fuck idea for a nothing character. Because, like, the most interesting members of that movie, I think, are the two Asian guys. I'd rather watch a series about them, like a blind follower of the Force and his, like, gun-toting, uh, mini-gun-toting Asian boyfriend. Cool. I'd rather watch that series about than the one about Diego Luna's character. I didn't give a fuck about him. Um, like, honestly, you wouldn't think... It would be so hard to make a story of either a new Jedi Order that follows after Episode 9 and how things go with, like, building that or what the school is like for that or the personal challenges that one has for what the new Jedi Order would look like. Or just do a fucking KOTOR trilogy. Take the stories from the first game, break that out into two movies. You can have a whole new franchise with that alone. Like, you can do a duology for each game, and then wherever they were going to go with the third one, make that the third set of movies. Boom! Instant six movies. Printing money. Giving fans something that they want to see. The Rise of Revan. The turnout with the uh, the other members of the Dark Side, because I haven't played KOTOR 2. I haven't. I just haven't played it yet, because I haven't beat the first one. But, um, and then see where the third one was planning to go. Take aspects of that. All they, and what they really need to do is just get a writer's room of a bunch of prolific... Well-received writers in the Star Wars community, like the guy that came back and did Thrawn. Uh, and I believe he also did a, a Darth Vader book where uh, Darth Vader, well, not Darth Vader, where uh, Anakin and Thrawn actually briefly met and encountered each other. That guy, Get him, get a bunch of other writers that the fan base respects, get some of the writers off the games that people respect, off the, off the most, like, highly, you know highly well-received games get them in a writer's room get a bunch of ideas flowing get a dartboard it's it should not be as hard as it is and even though i enjoy the new series uh, and i'm gonna talk about i'll probably talk about that trailer coming up in a second it, it should not be that hard to go forward with these stories the the skywalker saga is closing good i'm fine with that i'm so done with this binary storytelling of good and evil of good versus evil of just pulling out the hero's journey as thin as we can the original trilogy pretty good movies the prequel trilogy eh, I, 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 
my favorite one of that is Revenge of the Sith, and Phantom Menace, then, uh, of course, Clone Wars. And, you know, they have the Clone Wars series, which fans really like. You have the new animated series, which fans, they're so-so. Um, some like it, some don't really care. I don't really, I don't, I'm not really invested in them. I haven't watched the cartoons, really. Uh, and then you have the new sequel series, which has so much potential. God, I want to rewrite these. I'll, I'll do it someday when I have, like, the time and energy and effort. Because uh, I'm supposed to be rewatching. I want to go back, and I'm planning probably too soon, is to begin rewatching the movies from a chronological viewpoint, which is going to be a fucking trip for the eyes and the senses, uh, leading up to episode nine. And so I think I'm going to start watching the first two or three in about a week or so. But God, like, I don't fucking know. Like, it, it, it should not be hard to come up with the story. I've come up with two stories just personally uh, on my own about like where, what stories you can tell to start telling solo stories that are not related to characters we know. You have Star Wars as a brand name. That will print money very easily but disney should not be this hard to come up with shit so i, I kind of like dnd i think they're right to pull out i think they pulled out after the reception i believe it is from a game of thrones season eight them pulling out from another major franchise i think is a good decision for both them and disney because disney wouldn't want the association with the writers who quote ruined game of thrones in the eyes of a lot of fans and they're like mm, we don't want to take that risk because the fan base for Star Wars is fucking nuts, just like any other major large fan base. Just like the ones for Marvel, just like the ones for Star Trek, just like the ones for DC. Every fan base has fucking lunatic stands. And so, I think that was smart of both parties to be like, mm, we don't want this smoke. <laughs> it happened to us once with one fan base. We don't want to do this again. Let us go do our little project on Netflix. And then maybe someday they'll come back. But for now, I don't think that's a good move hot off the heels of Season 8 with Disney not even knowing what the fuck they want to do with Star Wars going forward. With that being said, let's talk about the trailer to Rise of Skywalker, the final trailer, which made me feel nothing. I felt nothing. I was way more invested in that first trailer they dropped, I think because of the teaser that they had of both potential Dark Side Ray, which we know isn't going to happen, with that weird-ass Switchblade Saber, which is so stupid-looking, and I love it. I want a toy of that thing. I, as soon as that thing hits shelves, I'm ready and rearing to buy it, because it looks so fucking goofy, and I love it. Um... But yeah, and then the potential leaks and Palpatine supposed to be coming back. And like, I, there's some leaks that dropped that I'm not going to talk about because they just, they're, I am praying to God that these leaks are not true. Because if so, this reads bad. It might be executed well. I'll probably be like, yeah, you need to go see it um, when it comes out because that's usually how I feel about most movies I see in theaters. Because, you know, it's it's the hype. The hype gets you. And then it dies down, and then you get to look at it from a little bit more of a pragmatic and critical lens. It, it's rare nowadays, I would say, for me to, to sit through something and be, and be like, wow, that wasn't a good time at all. Um, unless it's like television. <laughs> but um, like in the theater, you have that engagement from fans and everything. Like my, my experience with The Force Awakens is unforgettable. Mostly because of the crowd that I was with. But also, I did get some emotional resonance with that movie of things that I kind of recognize from the franchise. It's a great experience. Similar to uh, Last Jedi, that's going to be unforgettable for a completely different reason. I, I, I gave up some sex because I already paid for the ticket that night. So, you know, I'm like, that. I'm like, well, I would take us home, but we paid for the ticket. So <laughs> about $20 has been spent. I'm watching this fucking movie tonight. Otherwise, like, had I not paid for it, I, yeah. So my, my, uh, my, my frugal, not frugalness, but my, my like thriftiness outweighed my, my want for pussy the one time. Um... But yeah, so the Rise of Skywalker trailer. See, see how easily I got distracted from it because it just didn't 
give me anything to really be that interested in. J.J. Abrams, he's okay. His new Spider-Man comic sucks. I'm going to keep reading it because it's a mini, but uh, it's, it's not good. Um, just, no. It's just from, from him and Henry, it sucks. It's so bad. Even Sarah Pacelli's art is bad, and she's one of my favorite artists. I'm so disappointed. J.J. does not give me shit to work with with the trailer. I get it. I think the first one was better. I think there were more mysteries. There were better teases. We got glimpses of Lando and, like, Dark Side Ray and, you know, the the glimpses of, like, what the Falcon's doing. And I think we got, you know, we got some shots of actual Star Wars. Um, but we got, like, a teaser of the Knights of Ray, if memory serves. So all these allusions to things. But this one didn't really give us too much to get excited for. It was, a, I think it was a lot of less interesting shots other than the ones of, like, Ray and Kylo standing on that on the downed Death Star and that open sea and the image of Palpatine's spike-grown throne or whatever that was based off that old concept art and, like, the fleet in space and them going to seek help and, you know, help us build up the resistance to make it better and the little shots of Leia and stuff like that. And, like, it, it just, it didn't, it was a weak trailer to me. Didn't get me excited. I'm going to see the movie because I'm, I'm ready to finish the cycle out. I'm definitely going to watch The Mandalorian. Um, we can talk about that instead. I'd much rather talk to, talk about that. Um, New Rise of Skywalker trailer just kind of very meh, very bleh, very boring, very bland. It was just shots, cool. Shot composition is solid. Um, seeing Finn and Poe again. Yay, get to see the, the best boyfriends uh, and a black woman. So hoping somebody, somebody black ends up with her. Got to see Rose for a brief second. Neat. I just... Man, it, it kind of makes me a little upset because it's such a nothing trailer. I usually get excited for trailers, but I felt nothing for it. Um, but the Mandalorian trailer, on the other hand, a lot more going on there. A lot more interesting. Uh, John Favreau, good director. The, the people that got behind the show are very good. Fucking Bill Burr shows up, laser pistoling it out. Let's go, bald Billy. Let's do it. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see the role that he plays. I hope he doesn't die. I hope he like slowly becomes a supporting and a lead. But he, he probably won't have a long longevity on that show. You know, get to hear the Mandalorian actually speak very briefly, I believe. Um, season one about to, like, pull off his helmet. I think it's already confirmed for season two anyways. Which is good. A lot more interesting stories. you got a space western mystery going on. you got uh, different member shots and members of the cast and everything. Just different stories from different storytellers that are very, very talented storytellers. That don't have to deal with this big bullshit of the Skywalker socket. They're they're working with something different. It's a different character. It's not I'm hoping he's not related to the Fets. Praying that he's not related to the fucking Fets. It doesn't not everything has to tie in with that goddamn Skywalker socket. Just let him be his own thing. And it looks like it's gonna be his own thing. And I'm very interested in where this show's gonna go. I'm I'm excited actually. You know? I don't mind there not being Jedi as long as the stories are good. I mean the reason I stick around with Star Wars is because I like lightsaber fights. But for them to not have any lightsaber fights, pretty interesting seeing what missions this guy is going to go on. These bounty hunts, seeing him fight the way they're shot, literally and figuratively from, from like a camera viewpoint. Like, it, it looks really engaging. I'm really interested. And I honestly don't think there's going to be a lot of speaking from the Mandalorian himself. So seeing how people react to him, I think, is going to be really fascinating. Seeing some of the uh, space battles, seeing him fight off monsters and shit like that. I'm already interested way more in this character than I have been anyone in the new trilogy, aside from maybe Finn and Poe. Sorry, Ray. You have a great actress behind you, but your writing is just not... Writing isn't helping any of those characters. God. 
the more I sit with the sequel trilogy, the sadder it makes me. But I always feel like I have to defend it because everyone seems so heavily vitriolic towards it. But man, Mandalorian looks good. Rise of Skywalker, if these leaks are true, it will suck ass. Um, so hopefully it's better than, than these leaks have alleged it to be. So while we are talking about trailers, Jumanji, the next level, got a final trailer. Oh my god, the movie that no one asked for, which shouldn't exist, because the whole ending of fucking Welcome to the Jungle involved them destroying the fucking game, but I guess the fuck not. Sony's got a new franchise other than Spider-Man that makes almost a, a, almost a billion dollars like Venom did. Didn't see that one coming. I mean, I like the second Jumanji movie, which should have been Zathura, but that's neither here nor there. It's unrelated. It, I think it's a fun time. Saw it with my family. That was a nice little uh, surprise of a movie. Effects weren't the best. It was a very cheap movie. Um, but, you know, thought it was cute. Thought there were some nice touches and illusions there in the past movie. Then we get a third one, and it's like, what the fuck? I'm, okay, well, I'm definitely going to see it out of curiosity, because I'm like, where are they going to go now? And apparently they're having a grandparents in the game, and one girl gets turned into a horse and trying to switch all the bodies back. It's like, oh, thanks, guy. Um, here's the weird thing about this movie. This movie forces the actors to have more range than I've probably seen them in any other film that they've ever done. Because they have to play these other characters in the bodies of the video game characters. Which is the case for the first one. But then they're going to be swapping around, it looks like. Um, playing a new game. A uh, new character. Some, some seems like some characters might be coming to the real world. So, I don't know. I'm interested in that. It it looks fun. It looks about as fun as the last one did. It looks like they got a little bit of a better budget. So I'm I'm happy. Everyone looks like they're having a great time uh, during production and afterwards. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited. I don't know. I saw the trailer. I'm like, wow, this this looks interesting. You know, they got a uh, I think Danny DeVito and uh, who's my boy from Lethal Weapon, uh, Danny Glover playing like these old senile grandparents while they're trying to find the two other kids from the last movie. So, you know, how the fuck did the game get back? That's my big question. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, Vin Diesel's Bloodshot also got a trailer. Thanks, Sony. Um, I'm interested in it. Uh, I didn't watch... What is it called? Not Bloodshot. I didn't watch the Bloodshot... Well, they didn't have a Bloodshot miniseries. I didn't watch Ninjak versus the uh, Valiant Universe... Um, I'll have to go back and give it a shot. I heard good things about Jason David Frank's performance. Because he looks just like the fucking character, which isn't that hard to do. And based off the figure that we've seen, he's going to get that appearance. But I don't, I'm don't. i feeling like they're probably going to try and make this a Valiant franchise if this one does well. But apparently, a lot of people feel like it spoiled a lot of the things in the trailer. Which I feel like, I'm hoping at least, that there's more to the trailer than what was... There's more to the movie than what was revealed in the trailer. Because it didn't even cross my mind. Um, it's a lot like a mix of like RoboCop and Upgrade, um, in terms of what they're doing with it. His plot is very similar to RoboCop. Vin Diesel's acting looks fine. I'm going to see it. Uh, I'm intrigued because I, I keep like Bloodshot was definitely confirmed and announced and I kind of didn't believe it just to think that a Valiant Universe, uh, comic would get a movie at all. So... I guess we'll see. I'm sure when they tie it, tie it in and try to backdoor Exo Man Award, it's gonna be their uh, their Sony's Iron Man or some shit like that. Um, maybe they'll try to get him to cross over Spider Man. We'll get Blood Spider or some dumbass name like that, or with Morbius or something goofy as fuck. Sony wants to have their own little universe. They they can give it a try. They can give it a Bloodshot. Um, 
movie looks okay. It, look, it looks like a generic action flick with a kind of interesting premise, but then it kind of gives away part of the twist in the trailer, which I actually kind of glazed over the first time until I read the comments. I'm like, oh yeah, they did kind of give that away. So if you want to see the movie, it looks interesting. Don't watch any of the, don't watch the trailer for it. Um, just go see it. Just, just give it a chance. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk about it when that movie drops, I think in what, 2020 or whatever. Probably like January, February, some shit like that. All I can hope for is that it's good, and I hope there's there's more to it than meets the eye. I hope it's not as... I hope the action is at least fun. There's a scene where he's, like, crashing down. I can tell that this movie's not completely done, because those effects looked... Woo! That CGI was rough! Them visual effects in a couple shots of that trailer, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is definitely the first trailer, because they did some... Uh, when they rushed out that first Venom trailer, which no one asked them to do, because it was two weeks after production wrapped, looked rough. A rough like a, so same here hoping the effects get cleaned up and fixed uh by the time the movie comes out in a couple months so that is what that is and then so those are the sony trailers and then we got one other trailer uh the the trailer for the witcher dropped the the second trailer looks good uh looks very good henry cavill i think will do a bang up job as Geralt. um yeah cinematography is good effects look passable they, they look like that i'm gonna have an issue with that i still haven't beat the witcher 3 i uh i touch it on and off because my version i uh i change the language to french to brush up on my my ling my linguistic skills and uh yeah so it makes it a little bit slower of a playthrough i don't know i just i think the witcher is a very interesting premise it's got glowing reviews game wise i think i just need to get more into it um i'm definitely gonna watch it when the show comes out it, it looks like it's an interesting premise of people trying to like hunt him down and him hunting monsters and the reputation that daryl has so you know in turning this show into like its own little series i i i'm you know i'm interested in it um i'm hoping this is a good turn for henry cavill's career and everything because i feel like he wouldn't mind coming back as superman but i don't think that's where his intent and his focus is right now like when he got cast he's like all right i get to be superman but by the time we got to batman v superman he's like fuck oh they're trying to tank my career oh god um so you know um i hope it's good you know we game of thrones is over we need something else to kind of fill that gap of a uh, medieval fantasy yeah buddy um so let's talk about hbo max hbo max got announced hbo max is supposed to be coming in 2020 i believe spring 2020 starting at 15.99 who fuck you've lost your goddamn mind <laughs> but the the shows and everything that they're getting on hbo max is like fucking nuts getting a bunch of anime getting all the classic shows you get like the wire sopranos game of thrones all the all the old ones. Apparently, they're releases to have new shows on like a weekly basis. We're getting Looney Tunes, Hanna Barbera. We're getting every DC show from the D DC movie from the past decade, including every Batman and Superman uh, film, and that's going to be at launch. Um, Rick and Morty's entire library, which is a weird way to phrase that because it's only three seasons, is going to be on HBO Max. South Park is getting exclusive streaming rights, I believe. Um, they're just getting. They're going hard fresh out the gate with this we're getting new adventure time specials a uh, bunch of studio ghibli films are going to be streamed there exclusively you're getting a bunch of old content from basically essentially any warner media uh property which i forget sometimes that like cartoon network and a bunch of these other channels are owned by a uh, warner and uh turner broadcasting so you get like cnn and a bunch of other shit you know sesame street's going over there with 50 seasons 
of content plus five new series. Elmo's getting his own spinoff, not so late show. That that's exciting for the kids. Um, I'm I'm happy for Elmo. Yeah, no, this is this is crazy. Um, I don't know. Uh, we're getting Gremlins too, and I think a Gremlin series is coming. We're getting Boondocks, and you know, gonna talk about that at the end of the episode. Um, some sad news, but um, yeah, I this is fucking nuts to me. Holy shit, HBO. God damn, this is a lot of content. But um, HBO Max may be one of the few, aside from maybe Netflix and Hulu, they can complete com- complete compete with Disney Plus. But at that price, though, that price, because I believe Disney Plus is around like ten dollars or less per month, and you can just pay it all up front for however long you want your subscription to run, at least for a couple of years, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but fifteen, bro. Ooh, well, for launch, um. Hmm. Oh, and they're getting DC Universe tie-ins, like uh, Doom Patrol Season 2 is going to be uh, double streaming. They're getting exclusive streaming rights for Doctor Who, which I'm hoping they still air on the BBC streaming app as well. Um, but that might be a, a, for at least the past 10 years of Doctor Who, and I'm sure they're going to slowly go back and get the old Doctors in there. I need to go back to Doctor Who at some point. But yeah, HBO Max, I'm just remembering what uh, was covered in um, Andre the Black Nerd video. HBO Max has a fuck ton of, of content, which is good. Because they're gonna need it to be in that competition, but I don't know yet if it warrants that fifteen ninety nine price label or fourteen ninety nine, whatever one it is. Um, you're you're. I do believe that the more affluent members of uh the television watching community will be willing to shell out the cash for it, but mm, I don't. You got to bring that price down or do it on a sale or like Black Friday or something like that, because. HBO, because you're also getting all the HBO content, and HBO is a premium service. It's a premium cable service that you have to pay for already. So you're getting that and a fuck ton of other content, um, as well as a bunch of original content. Same thing that Disney Plus is doing, but the prices are almost, I don't know. Like, the thing for Netflix is they started low, and then they've steadily gone up a little over time. Same thing for Hulu, and I'm sure the same thing will probably happen with Disney and Disney Plus. But HBO, I don't know, man. I feel like if you already have HBO Go... Or an HBO subscription, Max isn't going to be that big of an issue for you. But if you don't, um, and then you have like Universal trying to launch their streaming service, which is a stupid idea, and NBC has like the Peacock coming, which I think is fucking another fucking stupid one. CBS has theirs, which I feel like nobody watches that. Even Star Trek uh, Discovery fans, like fuck it. Um, HBO. I don't know if this is the move, man, but it seems like y'all have thought this through. Um, I'm sure they have a reason for doing what they're doing, but I'm. I'm gonna need to see a couple more things than Sesame Street and Rick and Morty to get me get me uh, attached. If you threw some Crash Box on there, I might might shell out a couple dollars if you put those old HBO Family uh, movies on there. Throw some Madeline on there. Well, Madeline was Disney, so never mind. They have that. Um, but throw some of those other old movies, old shows on there from HBO Family. Get some more family friendly content. Get a nice plethora a hefty sum of content to go on that if you really which warner has a bunch of stuff and i'm almost positive within the next i give it i give dc universe two more years at best before it folds under hbo max because hbo max i think is warner's gonna be warner and at&t's big competitor with uh disney plus i think that's who who's gonna be the kong to disney's godzilla in this case um yeah, I mean, the lineup sounds good. 
Uh, I'm definitely intrigued to see where their original content is going to go. Disney, I feel like, isn't worried for the time being until HBO Max starts to step up their content and original content. So once it's off the ground, then we'll see how the streaming wars continue going forward and Netflix and Hulu. Netflix is still in a ridiculous amount of debt and they keep spending money. So, you know, see where that one goes. Um, But yeah, that's about all we can really say about that. Was there anything else? Any other trailers? Yeah. So this is probably going to be the last time I talk about this. Hopefully the last time. Uh, So part three of the Scorsese saga, uh, Scorsese Strikes Again, Rise of Scorsese. Um, we, we have a couple more responses. We have, uh, starting with Ken Loach, Ken Loke, a, uh, a British director, award-winning, award-winning British director, highly decorated, um, very positively received, which I hadn't heard of him until his name kind of popped up in the conversation, but he said that, uh, he, he stated that he found Marvel movies boring and continued to say, they're made as commodities like hamburgers. And it's not about communicating. It's not about sharing our imagination. It's about making a commodity which will make a profit for a big corporation. They're a cynical exercise. They're a market exercise and has nothing to do with the art of cinema. When money is discussed, art is impossible. Uh, according to William Blake is the quote he was quoting. And he has, he has an upcoming movie, I believe, that's... Uh, called sorry we missed you either that or it's already come out and you know he's not the first he's not the last i am not unfortunately i'm not familiar with ken Lo- ken loach's work um but he seems to be a highly decorated highly experienced uh filmmaker and uh, apparently he's also known for very socialist socialist ideals when reflected in his film and tv work very well decorated but at the same time i'm just like everyone's in touch like i said last time like i'm saying this time everyone is entitled to their opinion but I, I think his viewpoints do kind of reflect his political stance in a little bit of regard as well, stating that, you know, having them exclusively being made as commodities is just, I, there's, there's, a, there's a market to feed. You know, people like adaptations. Uh, again, I would challenge these artists to create an adaptation of someone else's work. It is not easy. Um, and so when money is discussed, art is impossible. And I don't think that is exclusively true. I think you can find a balance between making something that is financially well-received and also artistic. Good example, the fucking Joker. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of very, there's good cinematography, very, very good acting in that film, Um, solid writing. And so, and it also has been a financial success for Warner Brothers going on to now be the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, actually suplexing Deadpool, surpassing, suplexing, fucking RKO'd that bitch. Uh, But yeah, like, you can make money and create art. They're not mutually exclusive, Um, which which should come as, that shouldn't be such of a, such a strange belief for the man who at one point held the most, uh, the highest grossing independent film of all time. Uh, at least a couple for a good a good while a good couple of years so you know i i if your intent is to make money from your art i can understand that and i think that's the point is, is that he's trying to go for but at the same time i don't think that's the only thing they're trying to do i think disney is like yeah we are investing so much money into this so that we can get a return on investment but i think when you are hiring actors when you're hiring writers when you're hiring directors that their intent is to create that is what they're being paid to do. They're not simply doing it for the check. They're doing it as well for the love of the craft. 
You can tell when someone phones in writing or phones in a performance or phones in their directing or phones in their cinematography because everything is boring and uninspired. But these people still have passion for this. Ergo, they're doing what they love to do. And that is where the art is. That is where the art is all about passion and expression. So they're still doing that, Mr. Ken. So I, I respectfully disagree with you. And now... Francis Ford Coppola, as well as Martin Scorsese, have kind of clarified uh, their statements. Apparently, Francis Ford Coppola is actually a fan of Spider-Verse, but um, in a new interview with Deadline, he said that the term despicable was not meant to be a description of superhero films, but a description of films made a, as commerce over art. And he offered up some new comments about the subject as well. I'm reading from comicbook.com. Personally, I don't like the idea of franchises. The notion that you can keep repeating that is essentially the same movie for financial gain, which I don't... What? That's... What? what? Um, in other words, what is a formulaic approach? Okay, there's an argument to be made. I feel that approach is taken to reduce the economic risk of movies, and I feel the risk factor is an element that makes movies sometimes be great. Also, the formulaic film draws most available resources to them, leaving little for more daring productions reducing diversity. In some ways, I think the cinema is like food. Certainly, you can add things to make it tempting, tasty, and enjoyable, but it must also be nutritious to qualify as real food. Um, and so... Oh, uh, I think the statement continues. You know, I'm sure you're extracting from whatever Martin said, the gist of a statement. Uh, if you asked him, is there a, a cinematic talent, cinematic expression, is there even great, is there <clears throat> great even work in certain Marvel films? He would say yes, but what his point is, is that the concept of the Marvel film, which has eaten up all the oxygen, which is to say the resources not really is more of a theme park ride than what we would call cinema. Yes, I agree with him. But also television commercials is cinema. But is it a beautiful form of cinema? No. Which I... Oh my god. Fuck Tom. Um, yeah, no. Uh, Coppola. I, I don't... I don't... I don't agree at all. Um, he's allowed to express himself. That is the point of us having these discussions regarding how art and uh, cinema is commerced. And I do... I do agree to an extent that in some ways creativity can be a little bit stifled by the machine that is the filmmaking industry as well as uh, the way that cinemas navigate nowadays with a lot less people going to the movies as they used to, honestly, for prices. So what helps make the most money is a franchise. That risk, in a way, has been a little bit eliminated because people aren't going out to see independent films as much as they like to or unique uh, genre films. It's either horror movies or action movies or family movies. Those are probably the biggest three genres. The, you'll get the occasional rom-com here and then, but they can usually like make up their cost of investment by going either in, an, in a time frame where there's a, not a lot going on or just advertising the shit out of it or using a lower budget so that their return on risk isn't as bad. And he grew up, he probably grew up in an era where every, making every film was a fucking risk. Um, but now the model to make anyone can make a movie. For any price. So the risk is ostensibly gone. And here's the thing. These companies don't like to fuck with their money. Francis. They don't. Frankie boy. They don't like to fuck with their dollar. If they can maximize as much. If they could get a billion dollars. Off a fucking stick in a circle. You don't think they do it? Nah man. That's how these. That, you should know better than anyone else. That is how any corporation works. And I can understand not being on board with the idea of franchises, which I think saying that that they're essentially making the same movie for financial gain, I don't think that's exactly true because I think the same movie, like, yes, there are similar concepts about the hero's journey 
good and evil. But that's been around since the dawn of storytelling. That That's, like, that's not exclusive to franchises of, like, good versus evil, good guy versus bad guy, good guy beats bad guy, because... You know, the underdog overcoming an obstacle. That's that's the nature of, of storytelling. Those are stories that grab and relate to the human experience. Now, every now and then you'll get ones where, like, the villain overcomes and those, the, those are unique stories. But nonetheless, that doesn't make the rest of those stories any less valid, franchises or not. That is just one of the most common features of any storytelling of good versus evil. David versus Goliath, the underdog overcoming. Um... Uh, I think the only one that is an example that's like fucking Captain Marvel, but it's calling it a formulaic approach is true, but that's not exclusive to Marvel movies. That's that's I don't know. That's just that that expl that explanation. I just does not work for me. And that allegory that he used at the end, I just feel is completely and utterly ridiculous. Talking about that in some ways, cinema is like food. You can add things to make it tempting, tasty, and enjoyable, but it must also be nutritious in order to qualify as real food, which I think is just entirely ignorant if you're using an analogy for food. Let's think about this. All food has nutritional value to it. Whether it be greater or lesser than when compared to other foods, yeah, it's a different quality because they have different levels to it. I'm not going to compare a salad to a bag of popcorn. It doesn't make any sense. That statement doesn't really make any sense. It Just because one is in the perception of what is and isn't nutritious, like, is not exactly universal. What's more nutritious for one person may not be as nutritious for another person. The same thing it comes into the opinion of cinema. So what one person likes, another person may not like. What's good storytelling to one person may be trash to another, you know. Superhero movies actually exemplify that a lot more than I'd argue any other genre by looking at their fan bases. And so for him to say something like that, I just feel like it's very close-minded and not smart and not ignorant. I do not think there's a positive reflection of his talents nor his experiences as a filmmaker and as a creator and a storyteller and an adapter at that. For someone who's like coming out with these comics, having actually having adapted a piece of work, The Godfather is based off a novel... You know, looking at another company using uh, using creators to tell stories that are adaptation of pre-existing characters. You would think he would probably be on their side. And I don't, I don't know if he's seen the movies. I don't know if he's seen any of them. But I just do not. I can, to an extent, agree and understand where Martin Scorsese is coming from. I may disagree with Ken Loach, but I can still kind of understand his perspective. But Francis Ford Coppola is like... Uh, his his explanation here just does not work for me. It just does not work. Uh, it it's just it's just not cutting it. It's just not cutting it for me. Um, I don't know. It's like it reduces the risk. The risk is gone, Francis. There's little risk nowadays when it comes to making a film. Honestly, the only thing you have at this point are budgetary constraints. It's about it. Um, which yeah, that's a huge factor in in the the quality of a film being made. Being someone that like is working on a short film yeah that's a thing that a lot of directors uh have to take into account as well as actors you know other performers screenwriters and things like that it's like what are the limitations that we have financially it's like but you know i think that sometimes what makes movies great that can also make a movie fucking suck <laughs> it's like it's it's a double-edged sword francis oh my goodness i just i don't know i just feel like this statement is just woefully misguided and ignorant good lord almighty I, I just feel like he was, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's him, him looking at these films and I'm, yeah, 
a lot of these films have a formula to them, which Marvel has actually actively been trying to change to make their movies more interesting, make them more diverse, incorporating stories told by different parties. Sure, they have a long-term goal. They have a long-term plan. I'm sure that they have statements and necessities that they qualify for each director and creator and actor and whatnot to go and be in their film. But at the same time, they're still allowing them that space to create. Um, yes, it has caused issues in the path. Like the original Ant-Man was supposed to be under Edgar Wright. They bickered about it, but they still gave him respect and credit where credit is due because he was on that project for so long. And so, yes, I can understand from a career's perspective that a franchise can be frustrating when you're trying to fit it into a, an established universe. But at the same time, like, I just, at the same merit, that doesn't mean it's entirely stifling your creativity. You just sometimes have to learn how to adapt and work with it. And someone that has created a mini franchise, you have created a series. There are three fucking Godfather movies. You've created a series. In a way, you have established a franchise that is an adaptation of a pre-existing piece of art. That's the same shit that Marvel's doing. It's just a lot more long form. Do you not think someone may ever do like a Godfather miniseries that takes on the book and its sequels and whatnot? Or a greater explanation into these characters that could do like spin-off films? You could absolutely do any sort of franchise with just about any character ever in the history of literature, in the history of any sort of art medium you can do there for a brief time i thought there was going to be a hip-hop cinematic universe because we had a the notorious movie and we had a straight out of compton and then we had that mini series that followed um dr dre's i think it was michelle um and they had the same dude from doc that played dr dre and straight out of compton that played on the lifetime movie i thought there was going to be like you can do that even with like fucking biographical films so I think the notion that like the risk is taken out of it and that and that the approach is formulaic, I feel like that's not mutually exclusive to just Marvel movies. So I feel like this is ignorant. But then the last bit of that is uh, actually the final comments from Scorsese because this is probably gonna be the last time we talk about this. Scorsese was speaking with EW because I'm pretty sure he's on his press junket right now for uh, Irishman. Um, which I'm intrigued to see when that hits Netflix next month. He states that the tentpole films, the big comic book films, they're theme park movies as well. As well done as they are at all levels, it's a different cinema form or a new art form entirely. We're hoping there are theaters that show the films that are not that, and that if they're not going to show it, that filmmakers still have an opportunity with streaming, which his movie is going to be on a streaming service. And so, cool. Nice explanation, Martin, but I still feel like you still feel the same, and you, you're allowed to feel how you feel. Um, but, like, calling them a different form of cinema, that goes for all films, Martin. They're genre films. The same way you make a bunch of gangster movies. That's a genre film. Or like espionage. Or like based on, or noir film. They're genre films. So yes, of course they're a different kind of cinema. What you're saying essentially is that, yeah, they're, they're big franchise genre films. Yes, that is how the cinema do. Temple films, big comic films, they're theme park movies. Yes, they're, they're, uh, it's a different cinema form or a new art form entirely. Yeah, it's a traditional. It is the modern form of cinematic storytelling. And yes, there is still a space for these other stories to be told. Like The Lighthouse, which ju just dropped recently, which is getting overwhelmingly glowing reviews as a more independent film. Because it's A24, I believe. We also have... Dr. Sleep, which is not just a sequel, but also an adaptation of a book, which is a light tie-in to the Stanley Kubrick film from the 80s. So I feel like, yeah, those are genre films too. 
And the way that they approach cinema is different from the way that Marvel approaches cinema, which is different from the way that you approach cinema. I I feel like it didn't need much of a clarification. I don't mind you buckling down, but at the same time, it's like, dude, calling it a different cinema form or a new art form, it's not a new form of art. It's not. They're all movie makers. The only thing that's different is the technology and the genres which they play with. So... I don't think you're saying anything particularly new or engrossing or special here. And he's not really walking back his statement. And I don't care if he does or doesn't. It's just like, they're movies. And I understand if you're coming from this old guard. I think Kevin Smith said it best. Like, this generation grew up experiencing movies and experiencing filmmaking as directors and writers very differently than the modern one does. In their generation, you were like, you were either going to school and learning it the traditional way, or you were nitty and gritty like Robert Rodriguez and um, and Quentin Tarantino and funding it yourself and shooting it yourself and breaking and maxing credit cards like Kevin Smith did and just doing all the editing in like a dark room and just everything. And now you can shoot, edit, and you can shoot, edit, produce, and like post a film in a matter of weeks all by your by your fingers from your phone alone. You can use your friend. You can make an entire movie. And, like, the technology in order to create cinema is getting quicker and easier access. And now big companies are taking advantage of that, of the way that technology has advanced to change the filmmaking landscape. So it's a lot easier for them to bang out movies. And so it wouldn't take them several years to be like, I have to come up with a story and original characters. Like, no, we'll take some pre-established characters, um, get people invested in them. We will have a mass, large market appeal rather than something that's a little bit more. And, you know, we'll get money and they will be entertained and it will be something nice for them to experience that they feel like they want to spend their money on. And they'll get, like, interesting action sequences. You know, we'll hire choreographers. And there's so many more other levels to it that I feel like they just haven't fully grown and adapted into the way that the cinematic landscape has changed. Not entirely. Now, mind you, I love Wolf of Wall Street. I think that's a phenomenal film. The fact that Leo DiCaprio was, did, uh, was snubbed for an Oscar for that is a fucking crime. He had a fantastic performance in that movie. That's a very well-shot movie. It's well-lit. The story is really engaging and interesting. Could do that with a lot of so with enough time and investment and go, but that's an adaptation that's a loose biography of somebody's life that's based off of someone else's story so you know what it's like to adapt something for the screen and to try and get audiences invested in it and how hard that is they're doing the same shit as you man it doesn't make it different it doesn't make it new it's just the only thing that's new is the landscape in which people are going to see this art form. That's all it is. And yeah, less people are showing out to theaters. More people are going to streaming. That's the nature of the beast. Disney has more pull than most other corporations because they're one of the biggest ones in the world other than like fucking Amazon and Apple. I think they're still top 10. And so, yeah, the Disney brand and the trust that they've made with their fan bases is super duper strong. The same way that a lot of people hear, oh shit, Martin Scorsese's coming out with a movie. Oh, Ken Loach is coming out with a movie. Oh shit, Coppola's dropping a new movie. The same way that they've generated goodwill with their fans is the same way that you've generated goodwill with your fans. It's not new and it's not different. It's just an evolution that happens with every art form all the time.
TV's changed, literature's changed, commercials have changed. Like, commercial, and for, side note, commercials aren't fucking cinema. They, I mean, if they make you feel something, good, but they're advertisements. That's what commercials are. Um, they can be cinematic. They can have cinematic qualities to them, but commercials are advertisements meant to sell a product. And cinema, I'd say, is more longer form storytelling. Television is more closer to cinema than I'd argue that commercial and advertising are. So, you know, they can have cinematic qualities, but I wouldn't say that those are cinema. I would say that even fucking Man of the Hands of Fate or The Fucking Room are cinema before I would say an insurance commercial is. And you can have a movie where you're trying to sell something. They can have advertisements in it. You can have TV shows where you try to do that because that was all of the fucking 80s. But that and that could be the main purpose of it. That could be the intent of it. But that does not negate any of the cinematic elements that go into it. So it has cinematic elements, but I believe that longer form storytelling, if you're trying to tell a story, that is what makes you cinema. If you're trying to tell a story and or evoke a emotional response from the viewer, that is cinema to me. And that is the end of that on that subject. And I have one last topic, one last very disheartening, very sad topic. Um, unfortunately, as of yesterday, uh, October 30th, 2019, news hit the world that uh, John Witherspoon, acclaimed actor from the Friday film franchise, as well as the Boondocks, who played Granddad, has unfortunately passed away at the age of 77. Sorry, he passed away on October 29th. Um, that's, man, that, that hurts to, <laughs> man, that hurts to hear. Uh, pour out some juice for Pops, for Granddad. Um, I just, I just want to talk briefly about my, my familiarity with his roles. He has a, he has a pretty extensive, pretty solid filmography list. I didn't even remember he was in fucking House Party 1, um, or Boomerang. <laughs> fucking Meteor Man either. God, he was in a lot of movies. Um, I do remember him. It's Willie Jones and Friday. Good, good, great, great acting there. He, he essentially kind of plays the same dude in uh, almost everything he's in, but he's great at it. He plays like an amazing father figure or uncle or grandpa, and his voice is so... You always know when John Witherspoon is around, and I am so going to miss him, especially because Boondocks is coming back. I don't know what the fuck they're going to do now because you can't, you can't replace John Witherspoon. You can't, man. Guy was like, he's OG, man. You can't, you can't. You can't, you can't change that. I, they might just have to find a way to have Hugh and Riley grow up or write him out or some. I don't, I don't know, unless he already recorded some stuff. But, like, have him have a good send-off for Grandpa. But him and Friday, he was great in Friday. He was hilarious. He gave some really sound advice. Someone uh, posted a clip of him talking about, you don't need a gun, you need just these hands. These hands. Um, And, yeah, I honestly think that's still true. And one of my friends like, well, you know, like, and yet Donald Trump still has weapons. I'm like, well, because he has tiny hands. <laughs> Not going to be a long fight. He's like, but he lived to, to fight another day. I think that's a really important lesson, you know, about uh, just the world and everything. He was, he was great in Soul Plane. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Soul Plane is a guilty pleasure. It is a terrible, terrible movie. But it's so goddamn hilarious. And the fact that Kevin Hart has managed to, regret, most of that cast has managed to finagle a career after that is honestly just a fascination of the way that film works. Still waiting for his whole plane too. He was in Doctor Doolittle too. Didn't even know that. And little Nikki and the ladies' man. God damn! I wish we would have gotten a fourth Friday to see him one more time. Um, he has two upcoming movies. Uh, I no wait. I think they're out. Um, I got the hookup two, which I haven't seen. I got the hookup one, but uh, that's um, 
movie starring Ice Cube and Master P, Anthony Johnson. What the f- Oh, No Limit Records theatrical release. Of course it was released by fucking Dimension. <laughs> of course it was Dimension Films that put this out. And then Reality Queen. Um, yeah, I mean, he was a good on-screen talent, great TV talent. Apparently he was in The Hulk for an episode, which I think is goddamn hilarious. But um, I know him from my first experience to him was as a Pops on the Wayne's Brothers show uh, playing, well, Pops. I thought he was, he was iconic. Um, I almost forgot till I saw the clip yesterday. He played August Adams on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I remember him driving that, driving that plane, flying that plane. And then he jumped out with the parachute and left Will. <laughs> Still there. Um, my man was on Martin, living single. He was on all the classics. He was in Proud Family, Tracy Morgan Show. He was on Kim Possible. Uh, and, of course, the Boondocks. You can't, you just can't disconnect him from that role and his role on Wayne's Brothers and his uh, and his role in Friday. Those are three, I'd say, of his most iconic roles. And I just, this, this, just, this one actually hurts. Um, he is amazingly talented. He was hilarious. Uh, listening to him speak is always, always a good time. If you can find his interviews on Vlad TV, which I think he reposted one, um, please give it a listen. Man, Robert Jedediah Freeman, the the civil rights legend that he was on the Boondocks. Ah, we are thoroughly gonna miss you, Granddad. I granted. I granted. <laughs> He was on. He was on three black shows in like a two-year span. If you go to his Wikipedia, is what I'm looking at. He was on Black Jesus. He was on Black Dynamite, and he was on Blackish. <laughs> it's the blackest shit I've I've heard. And he was on the Jellies. He was on White Famous, which I need I need to watch that. that sounds familiar. That shit sounds funny as fuck. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're gonna miss you, man. Pour a drink out for the man, and that's. Gonna do it for us this week. You got a nice, special, long episode of the Ace Podcast. No questions, because, eh, need to spread the word. But if you ever have questions, uh, drop them down below, wherever the comment section is on this video or audio. Um, the hashtag AskAce. Rest in peace to the legend. Rest in peace to the legend, John Witherspoon, a.k.a. Pops, a.k.a. Everybody's granddad. You will sorely, surely be missed. My brother, I hope they got bad bitches and great coffee wherever you are, man. But yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Um, we will see you. We, we being me. I'm your host, Will, a.k.a. Will the Greatest. Make sure if you want to touch base with me or if you want to follow me, follow me on my social media. All of that is at Will the Greatest, except for Twitter, because I don't believe in that shit. But check me out on YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat. Um, yes, sir. We'll see you next time. Stay blessed. Stay away from stress. God bless. And happy Halloween. Have a good one, and I will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>